Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. When the 1619 Project debuted in 2019, it both upended how Americans viewed and discussed their country's past and created a wealth of controversy. Conceived by New York Times journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones, the project uses historical records, essays, photos, audio, and more to reframe the consequences of slavery in the U.S. and highlight the contributions of black men, women, and children to the American experience. Using 1619, the year that the first enslaved people arrived in Colonia, Virginia, as its jumping-off point. It's a staggering work, and one that earned Hannah Jones a Pulitzer Prize for commentary for the project's opening essay. In this special episode of Call Number with American Libraries, I speak with Nicole Hannah-Jones, who also serves as the honorary chair of ALA's Preservation Week, which began on April 25th. We discuss the project's origin, her team's research, the surrounding controversies, and why community archives are vital to preserving history. Now, the 1619 Project, um, how did it come together? Um, uh, how did you envision it initially, and how did you pitch it to the New York Times? Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about the year 1619 really since I was a high school student. My high school in Waterloo, Iowa, offered a one-semester Black Studies elective course, and I took that class and, for the first time in my academic career, was exposed to the vastness of Black history and Black contributions to society, uh, and yet we hadn't been taught most of this. And so I became kind of obsessed with learning that history, and I would ask my teacher, uh, Mr. Ray Dow, to give me books to read on my own, and one of the books that he gave me was a book called Before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett. And that's when I first came across the date, 1619. And, you know, even as a high school student, I was just really shocked that no one had ever taught us that date. I had no idea that uh, people of African descent had been here this long, that uh, we were here longer than almost anyone else besides indigenous people and a handful of English colonists. And so that, that date has held really important significance to me since I was in high school. It really, to me, showed the power of erasure and that the history that we're taught is not just simply what happened, but that it's a curated history and that a lot gets left out for various reasons. So I've kind of spent my career as a journalist trying to use the past uh, to excavate this past that most of us are not taught so that we can understand the inequality that we see today, that that, that inequality was built over time. Um, and so as the 400th anniversary of the year 1619 of the first Africans being sold uh, into slavery in the colony of Virginia was approaching, I just kept thinking that all these years later, since I was a high school student, most Americans still had never heard of the date 1619, and that that was kind of symptomatic of our larger uh, erasure of how foundational slavery was to the development of the United States and our larger inability to really grapple with the ongoing legacy of slavery. And so I wanted a project that was going to really force us as a country to not just acknowledge the year 1619, 
but the impacts of slavery on the society that we live in now. And so I pitched um, in the Feb- early February of 2019, I pitched that we should take over an entire issue of the New York Times Magazine and dedicate that uh, to using history to explain the country we live in today and that I wanted to have essays that took on a variety of modern American institutions, of institutions that we see in America right now that have surprising connections to slavery and use uh, historiography to really trace those connections. So that that was my initial pitch. And um, you, you you mentioned this just now, you know, about excavating the past to explore the present. Because, the as you mentioned, the 1619 Project, aside from providing a history, it also examines how slavery influenced and continues to influence contemporary issues, politics, economics, healthcare, music, democracy. And what can you speak a bit more about that, the significance of including these current events within the project scope? Yes. Yeah, so when it comes to slavery, um, we as, as Americans really want to leave it in the past. We, we, we would prefer if we could act as if it has no impact on the country we live in today. I mean, one of the, the things that every black person in this country hears at some point in their lives is to be told that slavery was a long time ago. Why don't you all get over it? Slavery ended 150 years ago. Why don't you get over it? And I really wanted to show that when something is so foundational to the development of a nation, it still impacts you. Simply, you know, abolishing the institution of slavery did not abolish its effects. It didn't abolish all of the, the racist architecture that was created to justify slavery. And, and so it was, to me, critical that the project couldn't just be about, let me help you understand what happened a long time ago. Um, it had to be about showing how that institution shapes our society today. And so every single essay in the project begins with a modern American, a contemporary American phenomena, uh, often things that people think have nothing to do with slavery at all or nothing to do with anti-blackness, and uh, helping us understand why, why does American capitalism today function the way that it does? Why uh, does our democracy and the struggles in our democracy uh, look like they do today? What, how do we come to have this, um, you know, uniquely American sound in our music? Why are our politics so fractured? So all of these parts of our society that you wouldn't naturally link to slavery, this project was, was helping us to make those connections, of course, in the hopes that if we understand uh, that upon which our society was built, then we can destruct those elements of our society uh, that are unequal and, and are unfair. Now, the project is also a personal journey for you and your team. Um, why did you include aspects of your family's personal history in the project, and what did you learn about your family as a result? Yes, yeah, so I open, you know, my, as a creator, my opening essay for the project is on democracy. And I really wanted uh, to trouble this narrative of, of democracy in this country and, and who actually were the the fiercest uh, fighters for democracy and freedom in this country, which I argue were black Americans. And so I begin this story with my dad and this flag. And I'll have to say when I, um, 
when I set out to do the essay on democracy, I didn't really know where it was going to take me. I just began reading really widely on black Americans that are founding and, and black resistance and how black resistance really was shaping democracy. But as I was doing this research um, and all of this reading and thinking, I just started to make these connections to my own kind of ambivalence um, towards American patriotism. I think black Americans in general feel a lot of uh, ambivalence about our uh, country because we've had to always fight to be recognized as full citizens. So I started thinking about my own father and how my father was a veteran. Uh, my father was born in apartheid Mississippi uh, and flew this flag in our front yard. And how as a child I was really embarrassed by this outward display of patriotism for a man uh, who I had seen um, be really hurt by racism, who I'd seen his opportunities um, altered by racism, and, and so many people in my community. Uh, so I, I, didn't intention, I didn't intend when I first started researching for the democracy essay that I would talk about my own family. Um, but, you know, this is kind of, I think, one of the greatest joys of the type of journalism that I do is as I'm researching and reading and thinking to try to edify readers, I'm also edifying myself. I'm also learning and making connections myself that I that I hadn't otherwise made. And um, so I, I was, as I was understanding black people's role in democracy, I also started to finally understand why my dad uh, so proudly flew that flag, why he felt that even as a black man who, um, you know, had lived half of his life in a country where black people didn't even have full rights to citizenship could be so proud of his country at the same time. And that was because he was taking a particular type of ownership uh, over his country. And um, so that, that just seemed a natural way to kind of tell the story. And I think all of this is, um, you know, when everything in the 1619 Project is both this like heavy history, it is this, um, the story of a people, but a, all, of course the story of a people are always made up of all of the individuals and the individual stories. And I think the personalizing of that is what helped people to really connect um, to the messages and uh, the stories of the project. Mm-hmm. And now the project, it has received some criticism from some historians and conservative politicians and pundits who say it's uh, revisionist history or, or propaganda. I think that's those were Nick Newt Gingrich's words. Um, why do you think it struck such a nerve, and what's your response to your critics? Yeah, so certainly um, I think there has been legitimate criticism of the project. No project can be this big and be above uh, critique. Mm-hmm. And then there's been a lot of illegitimate criticism of the project. So, you know, when someone argues that this is revisionist history, um, that's someone who doesn't understand how the field of historiography works because all history is revision, right? If if we knew everything we needed to know about the past and there was only one understanding of the past, historians wouldn't need to exist because everything would have already been written. So history is always being revised as we get more information and we gain new understandings. And the project is based on the last 30 to 40 years of historiography, um, 
it, it is based on history that has been revising our understanding of slavery and the role of slavery in our society. So they're saying, uh, you know, they're using the word revisionist history as an attempt to discredit the project when, in fact, of course, it's revisionist. That, that is what the field of history is about, is revising our understanding. Um, so I think the reason that it's hit such a nerve, though, is I think it has a lot to do with where this was published. Again, everything in the project is based on historical research. Um, it is based on well-established scholarship. But there's a difference between having these arguments uh, being made in a large uh, work of history that's only taught to college students and having these arguments made in the New York Times in the paper of record. I think that people, you know, objected to um, – the framing of the project where we have been taught a history that is largely a nationalistic endeavor that that speaks to this idea of American exceptionalism. And, of course, this project uh, exists in opposition to that. This project is actually saying um, slavery was as important to the society that would develop as the idea of freedom. And I think there were a lot of historians who were uncomfortable with that um, with the reach of a project making that argument in a popular publication. And then, of course, the the largest backlash began to come when it became clear that classroom teachers were teaching the 1619 Project. And this just put the 1619 Project in a long uh, line of uh, culture wars over curriculum, over how we are going to, what we are going to teach our children about our country, uh, the desire to have a curriculum, that really is a propagand, um, a nationalistic, uh, propagandistic endeavor. And um, these wars go back, you know, when I was in high school in the 90s, there were the textbook wars. These, these are very old battles, so in some ways that is unsurprising. Um, now, the project itself um, is very, it's incredibly rich with primary sources, you know, photographs, documents, and audio. The audio in particular on the podcast, you know, hearing the recollections and, and reflections of formerly enslaved people or the words of contemporary figures like uh, Montague Cobb, it really adds this extra uh, intimacy and immediacy to it. Um, I'm just curious, what was your research process like, and did you turn to any specific libraries during um, your research? Yes, thank you for that question, because, and it's a great question to follow the question on the criticism, because I, I think a lot of people... Um, who have criticized the project and don't understand uh, the level of research and scholarship that mm -hmm. went into the project, and even the fact that uh, half of the essays were actually written by historians and scholars. Um, so we, um, it was very important to rely on uh, primary sources, on the work of, of historians, and the great thing about the digital age, of course, is you don't have to visit libraries to get access to the archives of libraries. So mm -hmm. I know I relied, you know, heavily on um, archives from the Library of Congress. Um, we I used uh, archives from uh, University of North Carolina. I think Chapel Hill has one of the best uh, archives on Southern history um, that exists. So a lot of us were relying on um digitized archival research, and um, I can't say I 
I don't know which libraries in particular outside of the Library of Congress that different researchers were using, but all of the researchers were using university libraries uh, pretty extensively. Um, and then we also had a uh, genealogist who was tracing the, the uh, genealogy of, of some of the people who appeared in our photo essay that came at the end of the project. And she was using a variety of library sources to try to piece together the stories of uh, families who had come out of slavery. So libraries, of course, were were and will remain uh, critical to the research of the 1619 Project. Uh, one of the the first things that I did when I got the green light to do the project was to contact uh, nearly two dozen academics whose work uh, around slavery, around uh, Jim Crow, around civil rights, around black Americans uh, has shaped my own thinking and understanding. We held a massive brainstorming um, session to come up with the best ideas for the project. And, and out of that, uh, we got a lot of resources and, and several of those historians, as I said, wrote for the project ultimately. Um, the preservation, this Pre preservation Week this year, it, the focus is on community archives. And um, why do you think such repositories are important? And did you use any of them for the 1619 Project? Yeah, I think community archives are so critical because um, particularly when you think about a project like the 1619 Project or, or any efforts to really understand the experiences of people who have not held the traditional reins of power in our society. Um, community archives allow us to gather those important stories of people who are lesser known, who are treated as invisible, but who are creating the very fabric of our society. It, 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 it is critical um, to get those stories and those documents down, and you are simply not going to um, be able to fully archive and understand the society that you live in, I think, without these community archive um, projects. Um, and yes, there there was some use of that. So one of the things that, that we're working on right now for the 1619 Project is um, we're trying to find as many uh, spots, slave auction sites as possible. We would like to eventually mark um, as many slave auction sites as possible. And a lot of times it is, it is having to go through local archives and community archives uh, to find records of where uh, black people were bought and sold because there is no national kind of uh, repository of this knowledge. And this isn't something that a lot of kind of big uh, archival agencies or universities have really collected, but you can find actually quite a bit of that data in uh, local community archives. Um, you encourage the public to submit their own stories and materials to the project. Um, how do you see the project evolving? Um, I guess the big question is what's, what's next? <laughs> you know, what, what's so important is um, because of the particular history of slavery in this country, we don't have, um, for the period of slavery, nearly as much of a written record as other groups in this country have. Uh, that's because most black Americans were uh, forcibly kept illiterate, and so you don't have as many of those letters and uh, 
course of correspondence back and forth that you have with some other communities. And so I think it is um, so critical for us to gather as many of those stories and recollections as we can. This is why, of course, the slave narratives at the um, the Federal Works Project Collective was so important because these enslaved people were not able to write their stories, many of them, at the end of slavery, but by collecting that audio, we have a record uh, from the mouths of the people who experienced that. And that's what I think that this uh, community work is really important. So what we did is we, we, we have done call-outs and asking people to share their stories. What, what do you know about your family's history? And again, it just creates a more holistic understanding of who we are as Americans. Um, now, what we're going to do with all of that, I'm not sure yet. You know, the 1619 Project has turned into such a colossal uh, undertaking. We're, we're right now closing out um, the 1619, the first 1619 Project book, which is going to be published in November. There will be an adult book um, and a children's book, and we're creating a 1619 documentary series. So I think as, as much information as we collect just gives us more freedom to pursue um, more projects to help us better understand our country and who we are. Many thanks to Nicole Hannah-Jones for joining us today to discuss the 1619 Project. If you'd like to learn more about the 1619 Project or Preservation Week, which is going on right now, you can go to ala.org slash ALCTS slash Preservation Week. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries. Mm-hmm.